This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello, good evening. Uh, thank you for staying. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have the creator of Otello in the Seraglio with us, Mehmet Ali Shanlukol, who is a composer a great singer, as we have seen him singing as uh, Sumbur, uh, an ethnomusicologist, as well as a full-time faculty member at New Conservatory and New England Conservatory? Yes, that, New England uh, Conservatory. In, in yeah. Boston. So in Boston. Yes. Welcome to UCSB, Mehmet Ali. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, great. So uh, we are going to have a brief conversation together, and then we are going to turn the floor to, to the audience member. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow, that's great. <laughs> what, a, what a fusion of English, Turkish, Italian music, literatures, right. cultural discourses, right. and, and just like an amazing fusion. So, so I, I would love to hear how, how the project emerged, like mm-hmm. what the concept right. started, as okay. well as I'm a Shakespeare professor, so mm-hmm. I, would, I would ask what's the connection to, to Shakespeare, how did Shakespeare yeah. came to the, to the floor? Okay, so um, uh, before this idea came to me, um, there's, I need to give you a little bit of background because there was a period in my life when um, early European music ensembles would hire me as a professional musician to perform in their concerts. Uh, and around then, I was also producing concerts with my own uh, traditional Turkish music ensemble, too. And it's very interesting, because in these two worlds of um, traditional ethnic music concerts and early European music concerts, uh, if you go to these events, you'll see that typically they're, they're put under a theme, Okay, so they'll they'll pick a theme and then they'll assemble repertoire. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is important, I think, because that's the model I kind of had at the back of my mind. I was seeing um, classical Turkish music and and early European music and how they could be uh, kind of merged together. So that's that's one part of the puzzle. <laughs> the other part of it is. As, as just maybe a decade or so ago, one night, as I was just watching uh, TV, I happened to come upon um, Kenneth Branagh's Othello with Lawrence Fishburne. And, Oliver Parker's. Right. And, and so as I was just watching it, uh, I don't know, maybe it was two in the morning or something, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, um, wow, wouldn't it be great if... If, it was, if, if Othello was kind of flipped upside down, and, and if, if, the, if Cyprus was Ottoman Cyprus and not Venetian Cyprus, and if the attackers were not Turks but Venetians, and of course, you know, uh, shortly after uh, the uh, uh, shortly after the time of Othello, is exactly that's exactly what happened. Turks, Turks uh, took over Cyprus, and, and the roles were reversed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and as I was thinking that, suddenly I thought of a, a little short story I had just read about a, an Ottoman, well-known Ottoman eunuch. And it wasn't a fictional story. It was actually based on an actual 
uh, eunuch that lived in 17th century. And somehow right then I had this epiphany-like moment and I thought about, oh, yeah, I'm going to take Shakespeare's Othello and turn him into a eunuch. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so that's the other part of the puzzle. The last part of it is um, I, I wanted to do an opera. You know, the, the moment I knew that um, Othello was going to become a eunuch, I, I knew that this was going to, you know, this could be a great opera. Uh, but um, the problem then was, you know, operas cost a lot of money. <laughs> and and um, you know, I, at first I thought maybe we could have a small orchestra, but I was still thinking orchestra. And I was thinking from the get-go that there would be some Turkish instruments in it too. Still, though, I was picturing um, a larger setting, a stage opera, you know. And, of course, I started talking to people, whoever I talked to. The moment I said, you know, I'm going to reimagine Shakespeare's Othello as an eunuch, mm-hmm. they were immediately, wow, great idea. But as soon as we would do the budget, you know, you, it wasn't that difficult to hit $100,000, you know, with props and large ensembles, rehearsal time. So I kind of shelved the idea for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we kind of put it on hold. I didn't want to um, have it go to waste. I didn't want mm-hmm. it to be a, 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 a simple production, too. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, it was, in fact, the person who was playing the Ottoman harp, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who has been my uh, main collaborator for a long time, was he, he actually first had this idea of how about if it all took place inside of a coffee house? Mm-hmm. And how about if we had a, a, coffee, a traditional coffee house storyteller who brought the characters to life? Mm-hmm. And uh, I s- could see that. You know, I could mm-hmm. somehow see that. And so I thought, wait, you know, maybe we can do the very beginning of opera. Mm-hmm. Just, let's just go all the way back to 1600, to Monteverdi's L'Orfeo where operas were not staged. They were inside big rooms. And, and, and so I, we started thinking very essentialist you know, uh, forms of theater. On the one hand, we had the shadow play of the Ottomans, mm-hmm. also a very essentialist form. Uh, on the other, we had Commedia dell'arte, of mm-hmm. course, with the half masks. And the masks was a great solution because... Then we took, you know, all four singers and we were able to have, you know, you, you put the mask on, you become symbol, otherwise you're just a musician in the band and you do whatever mm-hmm. you do. So uh, it's basically, you know, all of these ideas, you know, um, allowed me to somehow <laughs> create this Othello in the Seraglio coffee house opera. Yeah, that's, that's great. Like in a way, it's yeah. really pushing. Yeah. The boundaries we have between yeah. East and West, between yeah. Western music and mm-hmm. Turkish music, and right. between uh, what's Europe, what's Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. So, so that that fluidity you are bringing to the table is is so valuable, and I think it's it's kind of reflecting the cosmopolitan world you are portraying. Right, it starts right. with with multiple languages, right. like Jews, Armenians, yeah. Greeks, yeah. Turks, Christians, yeah. as yeah. in the same space, and you are recognizing this this. Yeah. 
probably tolerance or coexistence of differences in the Ottoman Empire. Right. However, what I really appreciated is you are not kind of stepping away by bringing in the slavery to the table, right, the, the right. violence and, and the racial difference to the table. Right. So, so when, when we look at Othello, it's a story of a black man in a white world. Yes. And, and Venice as a cosmopolitan center enables right. the marriage, whereas that marriage destroys when they are in Cyprus. That's right. Yeah. So, so I, I would love to hear more, how did you envision the Ottoman world right. by, by delicately balancing right. The, the coexistence of differences, but at the same time speaking to the violence of slavery. Yeah. Right. So, obviously, that wasn't easy. Um, uh, let's see. Um, you know, one of the one of the um, ideas here was, um, of course, to try and bring that that Ottoman nuance in, in such a way that. Um, uh, well, I, the, the, the goal was twofold. So, on the one hand, I wanted to uh, bring a complicated picture that would also um, perhaps help American audiences defeat the stereotyping, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the Middle East and Islam and all of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, especially on opera stage, you know, the Middle East has been exoticized, orientalized for so long that, I mean, the very title, Othello in the Seraglio, you know, that, of course, is a direct nod to Mozart and, Mm -hmm. you know, and and so, uh, and it's intentional, Mm -hmm. you know. And so, um, on the one hand, I was actually trying to, you know, defeat that kind of stereotyping, uh, by providing you know that that cosmopolitan picture it, it, with its nuance, but on the other, I I didn't want to do it in such a way and say, oh look at this wonderful, rich, great, you know, p- you know I wanted to paint it as as you know um, close as possible with the tensions mm-hmm. that were present in that society. All societies are subject to tension, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. The United States is a great example of it, actually. I mean, you know, this is the country that gave us jazz. And, I mean, the African-American experience, you know, hasn't necessarily been the greatest one. And yet, you know, the, 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 the profound result of jazz is... So, you know, I, I like to put the, the Ottoman, um, you know, uh, experience or, or the, 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 the picture that I'm painting from that kind of... a uh, you know, mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, and, and it looks like Eunuch became a really great historical figure to, to convey that. Right? right. I mean, yeah. Othello is the more of Venice, yeah. like more yeah. recognizing religious yeah. as well as yeah. racial difference. Yeah. But, but the, the, our character, Sundberg, yeah. which means Hyacinth, yeah. right, the vulnerability of yeah. a flower. Yeah. And, and our character, Sundberg, is not only black, but also considered with deformed body. Right. So the, the gender ambiguity yeah. is there as well. And, and would you say more about that, yeah. especially how that problematizes relationship with, quote-unquote, Desdemona of the right. play? Right, of course, yeah. So, um, first of all, um, let, me, let me tell you this. Um, I am not the kind of composer that likes to, you know, meddle around with the works of masters. Well, you know, I, I, I'm actually very skeptical of, you know, picking up a piece by Ravel and reorchestrating it or something. I, 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 I fear, mm-hmm. and I, I also 
do not necessarily like to engage in that kind of recompositional rearrangement, you know, kind of activity. So to touch Shakespeare is not really, you know, my, my it, it wasn't my immediate goal, mm -hmm. but it was the eunuch that enabled mm. it. Because when I thought that, uh, or what I really uh, thought that the eunuch brought to the table was in fact a genuine Ottoman dimension to this drama that I can mm -hmm. really transform, mm -hmm. you know, or add to Shakespeare something that really wasn't there dramatically. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, so that's important. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what really convinced me, and I'm a hard case to convince. Okay, mm -hmm. in this case, so, so I was convinced by the eunuch, um, and of course, uh, the paradox of the eunuch from the very beginning, musically enabled certain things. I was like, okay, I can, there are lots of suppressed, uh, or there's suppressed childhood, there's suppressed past. How can I bring that back to the table musically? Mm -hmm. So I thought when he's starting to lose control, you know, those are the moments when I'm going to imply this, you know, polyrhythmic African uh, mm -hmm. grooves and, and, and yet they won't really quite be African, mm -hmm. but, you know, suddenly you have those musical moments where, mm -hmm. you know, these kinds of paradoxes, the, 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 the conundrum of the eunuch, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is, is, is projected. Um, uh, what else? I don't know. There's yeah, no, I think that's, that's great because <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. thinking yeah. how yeah. African presence in, in Ottoman history has been so much ignored. Uh, very right? much, and yeah. we have like there's like a huge eunuch transportation to right. Ottoman Empire like oh, yes. in the 16th and early 17th century. Sure. Anytime you have a thousand to twelve hundred black eunuchs yeah. in in Istanbul, in oh, the yeah. port, for sure. Right? Yeah. And and the, the transportation of this black boys from sub-Sahara to North Africa and, yeah. and undergoing this, this violent yeah, yeah, yeah. surgery and then most of them will die eventually. So it's just like a horrifying story and the mm -hmm. way you are kind of like relating it to Othello who right. has been enslaved several times. Right? Right. It's, this, it's also like story of slavery of the Africans. Right. So, so that connection I think is yeah. just like just brilliant. And, and also it was, it was really... Um, a good opportunity if you're an Ottomanist, and mm -hmm. to a certain degree, I consider myself that. Um, so, if you're an Ottomanist, and one of the one of the most interesting aspects of that society is, you know, which I wanted to portray here, you know, the four main characters. Um, three out of the four are are either former slaves or you know the concubine actually becomes a free woman through you know during the play, but the mm -hmm. other two. Uh, seem to be former slaves, right? Mm -hmm. And and they're the most wealthiest. And yet the the fourth one, Saadet, uh, who is you know as far as the, their class you know mm -hmm. uh, positions are concerned, she's the lowest as far as their. Mm -hmm. And yet she is the only free woman by birth. Yeah. And to me, that's. Um, you know that's that's the Ottoman society, at least in its, you know, 17th century. You know, and, and so I mean, wow, I mean, that's cosmopolitan, a different kind of cosmopolitan picture, yeah. unique. You know, so this is a great opportunity to portray something like that. I and mean, that, that's 
complex yeah. at all. That's yeah. complex, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned like the, you wanted to go back to start of the opera in the 16th century yeah, yeah, yeah. And, or early 17th century. Yeah, yeah. This is at the same time where we had coffee houses. Right, right. Exactly. Mid, mid yeah, yeah. 16th century is when yeah, exactly. coffee houses becomes yeah. very popular in the Ottoman Empire yeah, yeah. and it becomes a place where population would come together, That's not right. only for entertainment, right. for like storytellers like this, and smoking nargile, and dancing with boys, yeah, yeah. and doing more things with boys, yeah, and, and kind of, you know, enjoying their time. But at the same time, it's a place when you, people come together, they become political sites. Right. And, and most of the time, coffee houses has been banned. Right. Many people related to Bohemian lifestyle, whereas I think it's, in reality, it's related to the political uh, danger oh, yeah, sure. bringing people yeah. together and I mean like rock and roll in this country you know or or the prohibition era it's you know these are always you know these things you know when they come about they they you know kind of shake and rattle the the already established uh, you know um, rules and regulations government whatever and so the way to handle them is at first suppress, ban, this, that, yeah. but, you know. Then you cannot prevent that, right? Yeah. I mean, Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Elvis Presley are, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are coffee houses. Yeah. And, so. and, and they don't stay where they are, right? I mean, coffee yeah. houses reaches England in mid-17th century. It's very quick, too. right? Very First quick. coffee yeah. house in the yeah. 1650s, yeah. then it becomes right. like, yeah. they got banned this time as yeah. Muslim habit. Right. right. You would get darker skin if you drink coffee, right. all right. these yeah. discourses. But you are putting this opera in a coffee house right. very appropriately again combining east and west right. in a way and the storyteller is yeah. an entertainer right yes. Medah tradition yes. Yes. I, I will come back to that later yeah. but but he is very political as well <laughs> yes, in, yes. in like only yeah. God makes human yeah, but yeah. only humans make slaves yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just like you know this grand grand horse yeah. statement yeah. So Sufi Sufi philosophical you know statement there yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. and can, can you tell us more about uh -huh. the Medda tradition? Like, uh -huh. why did you need a storyteller to convey the well, stuff in the middle of the Yeah, opera? so um, maybe this gets me a little bit into um, the, the practical ideas that were behind the making of this. So uh, we wanted this to be, well, or let me put it to you this way. Once we had the idea of a coffeehouse opera, then we also thought that we want this to be so practical Mm. that you know, we can basically put all the props in the back of our car and just go to a, a venue and be able to set it up and perform within two hours, mm -hmm. which is, with opera, you know, mm -hmm. you can't do that. With Bertolt Brecht, you may be able. So mm -hmm. that was another one I wanted to mention, I forgot. So you see, uh, so, so we said, okay, how, how can we be really practical and, and be able to achieve, you know, uh, all of these goals, and so um, we thought, okay, you know, storyteller is a good good solution in a mm. way because coming in and out with English like that, we thought this is a good way of of being able to, in fact, have a, a nice drive and and be able to lift some of the weight off of you know people reading, and, and, and sometimes that's of course necessary, but in this case, it was actually one of those practical solutions. Mm. Um, Another issue that is related, not so much directly to the Medda, but just the whole production, was um, so I had a month to compose. Mm. 
Okay, so no one can compose, you know, a two-hour-long opera in a month. So knowing that that was the time frame, um, and I had time in front of it, but I was, you know, teaching, and so, it, you know, I, I knew that I couldn't sit down and compose until that month-long, basically Christmas break. Mm-hmm. That's when it was. Um, but I had time up until then to be able to do other things. So I thought early opera, mm-hmm. well, lots of, you know, um, early Baroque operas were put together that way. We call them opera pasticcios, they're pasticcios, mm-hmm. you know. So lots of Handel operas, Vivaldi operas are, are pasticcios, meaning they borrow stuff. That's why it says conceived and composed with my, and my credit, because knowing I had only month, I, just, I created a structure well, I said, I'm going to borrow some material. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, the Turkish tradition places so much emphasis on improvisation mm-hmm. that it's kind of sacrilegious to leave it out. So I thought, okay, I, I must have some improvisation. That's good. All I have to do is to contextualize that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fine. And then I thought, um, the, the role of the narrator coming in and out. And then, of course, newly composed music. Mm-hmm. So... What I did in front was to look for what I was going to borrow and create the best possible structure and then fit these different elements, including the storyteller Mm. and where he comes in and out and all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it looks like masks did a huge benefit for you to to reduce it. But at the same time, you had a short amount of time, and I would like to mm. talk about casting a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And a part of yeah. Othello yeah. production history yeah. is a huge debate, whereas Othello has been in blackface, or right. you, 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 yeah. you cast in black Othello. Right. right. And the production you have seen, you know, Lawrence Fisherburn is yeah. probably the first high-budget right, right. example, example yeah, where yeah, we yeah, have yeah. a real black... Othello that put Lawrence Olivier's or Anthony Hopkins' blackface Othello's into shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yourself as black eunuch with right. a black mask. mask. Yeah. So can, can you tell us yeah. a little bit if, if you had any hard time to make this decision or is it related to other casting issues? Sure, sure. Because it's an opera and, of course. and, and it has different... You, absolutely. Yeah. So basically, in, in that case, um, obviously this came up and... Um, but the musical goal was very clear, right? I mean, anyone who watches this understands that the two worlds, two musical worlds that are really coming together here are, you know, classical slash Ottoman folk Turkish music tradition and early European music tradition. And so those are the two worlds that are merging. And and the the role of the eunuch... Uh, or, or, or the style was clearly going to be high Turkish, high Ottoman Turkish. Mm-hmm. So basically, once that was clear to me, you know, it was also clear that there's no such uh, black person that can sing in that style. Mm-hmm. I mean, there really isn't. In Turkey, maybe there was 200 years ago, you know, but mm-hmm. so knowing um, that that's not the case, so there were two options. Um, either I was going to you know, um, cast myself or someone who's capable of singing that style with a black mask or let go of the style, appropriate the musical style. But you know, 
I decided not to appropriate the musical style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see, it's cultural appropriation of one, yeah. you know, one way or the other, but I think yeah. at least this way, I mean, it's an opera first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. musical goals are, are clearer. And so it actually wasn't a big debate. When yeah. the decision, yeah. it, it was, it took this much <laughs> in yeah, the yeah. conversation to, to settle on that decision for better or worse. I don't know if everyone is going to be comfortable with that, but we, we were because at the end of the day, it's yeah, the, the, and, the musical And your vocal player. range is kind of like enables to sing like a castrati. Right. Like I, castrati I, as a castrated <laughs> opera singer yeah. goes back to six, like 16th, yeah. 17th right. century. Yeah. They are also called eunuch and yeah. you are also... I feel like hinting a combination of, of operatic figure and yeah. historical. Yeah. Thing, right? Yeah. So I mean, I, I thought you know what is the best way to or best? I don't know if it's best, but you know what would be an interesting dramatic way for the the eunuch to sound like? Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, yeah, I didn't want to sing in falsetto voice throughout. Mm -hmm. Instead, I wanted to kind of have this. You know, uh, cracking. You know, I wanted to kind of hint at some some voice that that may crack. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. you know, like oh, oh, you know, like you know, yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. You know, and and so um, I, that's why you know um, when I sing, I keep switching, you know, between the high falsetto and the chest mm -hmm. voice. But of course, you know, it's um, only very very few moments. It is kind of done. Uh, in a more out of control fashion, you know, to indicate he's losing control. But most of the time, it's actually mm -hmm. designed in such a way that it's smooth, etc. You know, just mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. just to go along with the style. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you bring so many different styles of singing and songs together. Can can you tell us? little more about the songs. Mm -hmm. I, I think most of them are from 17th century. So, or? so like I said, you know, um, let's just say one third of the opera is borrowed material. Mm -hmm. Those do come from 16th, 17th century, either Venetian or Italian or, or Istanbul material. Mm -hmm. But that's one third. Mm -hmm. One third is improvised material. And then one third is newly composed material. Mm -hmm. So, for example... Especially when you have duets, you know, between the soprano and the eunuch. So you have, a, a, you know, a Turkish style against an earlier. There's no such music that it, so that had to be composed. The quartet, you know, there's no quartet. You can have two voices in Turkish style, two voices in there. So, you know, these were clearly the composed material. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, of course, everything I had to arrange and adapt to this setting too. You know, in, in other words, even though even if I borrowed stuff, they, they were all, you know, I had to arrange them, adapt them, etc. So I mean <laughs> And with some spice of Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah exactly. There yeah, there are <laughs> yeah. lines that lines I had from, to yeah. find. Because the that's the other thing about this. The, the, you know, from a very operatic perspective, there was there's no librettist here. You know, it's it's a it's a bunch of compiled text. That, you know, some of them comes from, some some of them I even borrowed from mm. out of Rossini's uh, Othello's libretto. Mm. Just you know, a couple of lines because the Willow song, maybe the Italian of that may originate from Rossini's. I don't. Rem I, yes, I think so. I think mm -hmm. that um, the the Willow song. 
the Italian setting of it, I think, originates from Rossini's opera. And I looked at them all, and you know, I was like, mm, this one flows better from that text. You know. Yeah, yeah. You see? Yeah. yeah. And some of the songs I realize are from Ali Ufki, who That's himself right. yeah. was a captured yeah. slave who became a musician. Can you, right. can you tell us more about Ali Ufki right. and why his music was important for right. this production? Sure. So, uh, so if you're borrowing music, uh, and if it's 17th century in the Ottoman tradition, the man that you're going to end up with is this this Polish, initially Polish Protestant by the name of Alberto or Wojciech Bobowski, mm -hmm. who was captured by the Tartars and, and sold to the Ottomans. Uh, he was not a very young boy. He was older. Uh, and, and that's why he, apparently he was more valuable because he spoke multiple languages. And, and so uh, the Ottomans realized that this you know, was actually a, a, a person of value. They immediately got him up to the, uh, uh, the palace and uh, he became a um, uh, court musician. Uh, eventually looks like he even became the director of the ensemble and then he also was court translator and so on he he adapted the name ali ufki and of course uh was converted to islam but he's one of those few cases where in fact ali ufki remained for the you know uh, in istanbul for the rest of his life and seemed to actually um, blend in really well he's a unique character for sure and Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and he left behind a manuscript of, of notation mm -hmm. in staff notation. So it's, you know, European notation mm -hmm. uh, and off Ottoman Turkish music. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, um, for example, the one sequence where I borrowed a couple of folk songs from that period was the wedding sequence. Mm. Those are... Um, pieces that I took out and arranged and assembled to create that you know, 17th century Istanbulite wedding. Yeah. 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 And did, did, did your singers have any difficulty to, to get singing the 17th century Ottoman Turkish? Um, yeah, here and there I may have had to correct, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, accentuations or whatever, you know, just, just you know, cause sometimes they don't recognize the words, obviously. And mm -hmm. so, you know, but, but overall, you know, these, this, these particular musicians are, are adventurous, like myself, and so you know, I've, I've at least I exposed them, you know, uh, earlier to uh -huh. Aliufki's works, you know. Yeah, so yeah, uh, they were more or less familiar. Yeah. yeah. And do you have any, any future plans building on this project? At, at the moment, with with uh, Othello in the Seraglio, um, I mean, we premiered the live production in 2015. And so uh, we did about 20, 21 performances in four years. Mm -hmm. And we filmed it uh, in its fourth year. And we premiered it last year, you know, the film that is. And so now we're screening it, you know, here and there around the country, uh, thanks to you out here. So uh, right now, you know, it, the film is, is certainly... Uh, probably achieving a life of its own. It's available, streamable on Amazon Prime and a number of other platforms too. Which, you know, there are so many of them. Maybe even on Hulu. I don't. I don't remember that. Mm -hmm. But it is definitely on Amazon Prime. And so, I mean, I think that's, a, you know, a good enough place uh, for me 
uh, for this production. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful, and I <laughs> really hope you would mess with Shakespeare more and more. I will. <laughs> uh, but I think at this point it's yeah. time to open floor to okay. the audience and yes. see if they have any questions. And Thank you. Um, I, I just wanted to say um, we, our class uh, with Professor Arbus has like seen so many productions of Othello already. And for me personally, this was the most emotional one that I've seen so far. So I think that says a lot because there's so much that uh, singers can do, you know, you know, especially opera singers. They're, they're so focused on getting those loud uh, and, you know, high notes and whatnot. Um, <laughs> and also just seeing them four together uh, allowed us to see the, the human side of them as opposed to people trying to play a certain character. Okay. Um, so besides the music, uh, what can you tell us about the wardrobe that they, they wore? I saw that... It was very culturally defined. Yeah. And what can you tell us about the choice of color for like all four characters? Oh, you mean the shawls and the, yes. those colors? Okay, yes. okay. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, you know, purple with Sumbul, you know, high stature, mm-hmm. elegancy, you know, that, that was kind of obvious. Red with, you know, Mustafa, Iago, you know, I think that's obvious too, right? Especially. The red, you know, underneath the eyes on the mask, you know, kind of symbolizing, uh, you know, some some degree of violent intent, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, this is a good question because green for the the, the, the Muslim Turk, Simple Turk, exactly, you know. It's, so the it, the color of Islam, green, you know. So um, there's that. Um, and and then blue, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, for Europe, for some reason, we, we picked that. I can, you know, there's there. It, maybe it's because at that point, you know, um, we had green, we had red, we had uh, purple, and I thought maybe. So that may have been more aesthetic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a desire yeah. to freedom. <laughs> <laughs> there's always room for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, thanks, uh, thanks so much for. This magnificent piece of music. Thank you. And so much. Uh, thanks so much to uh, Hamid for bringing it to 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 us here. Um, I'm very interested in the structure of the piece because mm-hmm. somehow the it's actually very baroque in a way because um, the, the you know the members of the orchestra are also singers right. are also characters yeah. and the orchestra plays like an audience. To them, yeah, yeah. so it's almost like all the potential points of view of a theater experience are actually yeah. encapsulated in the ensemble itself. Yeah. So what I would like to know a little more about is how does it feel for you as a performer to be, uh, in so many ways, you know, you're the, you're the composer, you're performing, know, you are I playing, know. at Directing. some point you're an audience. <laughs> so you are traversing all the potential yeah. ways in which this can happen. Yeah. And I wonder how, how is that managed or negotiated uh, yeah. through you yeah. when you have the experience of being part of it? Yeah, um, it, it, it was difficult. You know, it's, um, first of all, um, I had to, wear a number of hats and that was clear from the beginning and so when we we did work with the stage director you know before the film director and so and the stage director was very much aware of this too and we decided that there's no reason to meddle with it it's it is what it is you know i conceived it it, and so there are moments when it's not so much conducting but cues 
retardados, meaning when the music has to slow down, you know, someone has to give certain, and so we worked them in. So, you know, there, you know, I would raise my hand, and, you know, some of these things were worked in, but also at the same time, you know, I, I at other productions, I conduct ensembles, right? So that's also part of who I am as a musician, I move my hands, you know, so, so it wasn't that difficult, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have to force anything, you know, so, uh, with, with these different uh, identities, you know, they were all there, so the director, I think, kind of realized that, and, and he decided also, you know, not to really uh, engage with these things, I think there were maybe a moment or two when he gave me some pointers but most other times the decision was to kind of let it be and 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 just he let me be in my natural state and I would just do a few things and they, I worked them into the role as much as I could um, the experience of it <laughs> um, I guess I can say you know as I was watching it even today you know is it, a similar situation it's it's a hard, that's harder to talk about. Um, I, I try not to think about it. <laughs> I, I think, that, yeah, I, I, because at the end of the day, I have to um, keep on top of a lot of different issues. Mm -hmm. um, certain cues to the band members, you know, I got to remember to put this instrument down, pick that up, go there. You know. and, and so um, if I, if I, you know, uh, indulge myself in the experience too much, then then I'm going to lose it anyway. <laughs> so, so I just kind of you know um, let go and just take it on and try to survive through the two hours and <laughs> it seems to work. Thank you very much. <clears throat> a quick comment and a and a question. Um, the comment is back to the wardrobe issue, um, and I just want to share my impression when at the end of the uh, marriage scene, she, uh, her handmaid veils her fully with mm -hmm. her blue. That was very, that struck me very much as a Virgin Mary look with mm -hmm. the blue. Uh, oh, I see, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, intentional or not, I don't know. <laughs> um, but the other, uh, the question I had was, um, was it a practical matter that you hope will eventually, over time, go away to hold the um, scores? Or do you feel that it's a part of the, essential part of the, of the work? Um, it, it, we, we worked it in, t and, and we thought that this was a way to complement also, again, the differentiation, just like the masks. You know, we wanted to create this relationship between the storyteller and the characters. And, and the fact that they were coming out, in and out of the band, we had to find ways to, to make that relationship um, more meaningful, just on stage. One, one method was masks. The other was the, the, the rug everyone stepping on top of the rug and coming, you know, in and out, um, and, and also the, the scores. And so there are many times when we're not even looking at it, uh, but, but um, we, you know, try to highlight as much as possible the hand, you know, so in other words, when they're handed to us, 
you know, they're actually quite visibly filmed, you know, and, and that's part of this establishment that it's really the storyteller who is bringing these characters to life and that he directs them, he gives us, you know, so we're kind of like puppets. And at one point there was this idea of maybe, you know, pushing the, the image of the, you know, being a little bit more um, puppet-like, but then we... we um, we didn't quite buy that. I don't know why, you know, and, and we kind of let go. So there was a, a, I don't know if you're familiar with Stravinsky's Petrushka, you know, so there was a, you know, kind of moment when we were thinking about that kind of a, uh, an idea, but then we, we decided to be more um, natural with our movements, but really make it visible that we would take the scores we would, it, and every single time a character is handed the score the first time, there's this moment of discovery, etc. Mm-hmm. A little bit, you know, so kind of like that. It's, you know, every, a lot of things in this is, is uh, unique. A lot of decisions. And, for example, um, in our many experiences of performing the live production, you know, we have come across... Um, you know, if if the audience members were really um, devoted fans of stage opera, the scores, you know, ended up throwing a couple of them off. They didn't quite get it, or 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 maybe we didn't quite get it. I don't. You know, I'm not going to take a, a side on this because I understand. You know, but at the same time, that's why we kept on saying from the very you know from the get go. It's a coffeehouse opera. It really is not an opera. You know, it's it's this. It's you know, it's and, and it is. I mean, who will ever assemble you know eleven musicians and a and a storyteller and try to put something like this together? You know, and and this is really the way to make it work. It, it cannot be a, a, a real opera. It cannot be something that is entirely not an opera. It's it's it is what it is. It's a unique. Uh, you know, way of blending all of these things. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.